We just had sex. Prognosis podcast episode eight. If you are just tuning in for the first time, the way this works is Aaron and Chris over here. Hi. Try to convince Whoa. me, Matt, that prog music does not fucking suck. It doesn't. And Chris has a selection for us this week. Chris, this time I've chosen to opt for an instrumental tune, um, just to make it a little bit. Uh, Less painful hearing Matt read lyrics that I care about <laughs> and like, you know, mispronounce words or I'm just kidding. I think he under, he has a good grasp, a solid grasp of the English language. I'd like to point out that this is the first event after the illustrious 11th Fobab Festival of Wood and Barrel Aged Beer, which we all attended. And, uh, in the beautiful and, city of Chicago, for yeah. any of you worldwide that don't know what Fobab is. Yeah, we all went and criticized a bunch of beers that were just outstanding and it's Easily the best beer event uh, that I can think of. Um, had between 50 and 60-ish beers per person, uh, which is an absurd quantity of high-quality beverage. But uh, yeah, and so today we decided we would follow it up with uh, some good beer. It's not quite on that same level. Right now we're enjoying a 2008 Stone. I don't know if I agree with that. These are all very aggressive stouts. Oh, these are serious beers. We've got a, we've got a little lineup here. We're doing a Stone 2008 Imperial Stout, a uh, this year's Surly Darkness. That'd be 2013. Um, yeah. Well, that would be pretty obvious, because nobody's going to listen to this next year. And then uh, <laughs> uh, we've got a... a well, this is broadcast out into the cosmos, somebody on another solar system. An alien is going to tell us all about it. They don't drink beer in outer space. Sure they do. Four Roses uh, Eclipse from 2011, and a fresh air, uh, Double Bastard Ooh. from Stone. So that's, two stone that's two stone beers. And i got to say, as a fan of, uh, of you know good craft beer for... Well over a decade now, um, why isn't Stone's beer this good anymore? Why isn't there? Uh, why aren't their stouts this good anymore? We can answer that in somebody else's podcast that we guess on. No, fuck that. We have time to discuss this right now. This is a really great stout, and last year's Imperial Stout and their Espresso Stout fall far short of this. Why is that? The mouthfeel is better than this. It's, a, it's like a more viscous beer. I feel like a lot of the people that worked at Stone that really cared about beer. Um, kind of abandoned Greg when he went, you know, farmer slash make like little life pod area out of Escondido, and they went to other breweries and moved on to other things, and now Greg is trying to do what he does without the help of a better support staff. See, I'm just not convinced that it's not a cost-cutting measure. I'm not convinced that they haven't cheapened their beer, because there should be no reason why you can't make a beer this good. If you have that kind of budget, this is a fantastic beer. This was a, this was available on the shelf in two thousand eight. It sat for a while. It's affordable. It's bourbon barrel aged. Uh, the people don't know that, but you can obviously tell it if you uh, if you taste it. I'm trying to look up because I I've checked into the 08 not that long ago. I'm trying to find out when the last time I had it, and I feel like tonight's is remarkably better than the last 08 IRS I had. I've had I one that was a little that bit uh, that was a little bit more oxidized myself and this is this one is better but still I mean there's no reason why like the difference between this and and the 2011 the 2012 right. that I've got sitting in the other room is those beers are thinner those beers are closer to like Lining Kugel's Big Eddie. Right. And it's not like those are going to improve to this level. 
from yeah. being solid for another couple of years. Absolutely. Just, there's that much. I mean, difference. this beer was this good. This beer, I should say, has, in my opinion, has not improved since 2008. It, but it has lasted. It has kept remarkably so. well. Uh, so yeah, I don't necessarily believe in. in uh, there is still a lot of the. There is a lot of the bottle or the barrel character left in here too. Mm-hmm. For not being a, uh, a wax dipped. The last bottle. few that they've done that have been barrel aged or partially barrel aged, like the Woot Stout and everything, you couldn't even taste the barrel. At least yeah. I couldn't taste the barrel at all. And I think I'm, I pretty much pick up on those flavors at this point. But whatever. I will be happy to bring a suede imperial porter for the next podcast which was their newest attempt at barrel aging uh, a porter and um, is pretty widely available throughout the country. And All right, well, so let's get down to business, and I apologize for going off on this beer tangent. No, beer uh, is an important part of what we do because it makes our opinions matter that much more. I, I guess I agree we with We get you. together once a week for about three hours. A third of it is spent drinking and talking about beer. A third of it is consumed by talking about uh, music, and then the last third is playing music. That's reasonable. They're all easily, like easily, the most enjoyable part of it. <laughs> so tonight's uh, tonight's tune is uh, um, it's called Sazzle. 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 S O Z Z L E. Makes me think of John Stossel. It's the uh, it's just it's about John Stossel actually. <laughs> it's an instrumental dedicated to. Uh, it's uh, by the Trey Gun Band. Um, I highly recommend it. It's got a whole bunch of interesting percussion and all those kinds of things. So you can listen to that right now while we listen to this. Um, I know in real time. You would want to have to press stop at that point too, so you could listen to the song if you're listening along to this podcast. But that's demented. Nobody should care that much about what we have to say about anything, and I'm sure you don't. I All completely right. disagree with that statement. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go ahead and pause us, put the tune on, and we'll be back to hear Matt. by the Trey Gun Band. Trey Gun is a former member of a uh, previous winner, progressive winner uh, for this podcast, King Crimson. Uh, but he's of the latter iteration of King Crimson, which I don't think Matt has yet experienced. Um, at some point, we'll have to drop some of that stuff on him. The Adrian Blue, yeah, lineup, and yeah, just the last few, the last few iterations. So, anyways, um, yeah, go ahead. What do you, what do you think? Um. It was okay, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, I liked the last portion of the song. So the song kind of starts out fast and, and somewhat interesting, then breaks down to this kind of long, uh, slower portion, and then uh, the build-up towards the end, the last couple of minutes. I thought that the last segment of the song was pretty interesting. There was a lot going on. Um, it was, you know, it's got that... Glossy production, I typically don't like a whole lot, although I thought it worked well in that portion of the song. Cause there's, there's, a, there's a lot happening sonically, and, and it was easy to pick it all out. Um, so I think the, that production style worked well for that part, for that portion of the song. Um, I was kind of, my mind was kind of wandering during the middle portion of the song. I was just not really digging that that. I think break down that's a concentration <laughs> issue, not a quality of music issue. Well, I wasn't holding my attention. Uh, it is not required to. See, you're the human being in the, in the equation. Right. The music is a product. It's an art product. It's your job to focus your attentions. It's, it's the, the job of the song to capture my attention and hold yeah. my interest in it. 
How many times have you bought an album in your life, um, listened to it once and not cared about it, and listened to it again later and thought it was awesome? Yeah, that happens a lot. But it does happen a lot. I don't see me going back and listening to this song again. Uh, when you least expect it, it could happen. <laughs> like right fucking now. There was the beginning, the beginning part of the song. I don't know why. There's, there's obviously like this, this Indian influence in the guitar, and for some reason it made I guess me it's more Turkish. It sounds to okay. me. But okay. It reminded me <laughs> of a level from the video game. Uh, what it's called uh it's an old like, the driving game. video game where you're 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 um it's like an old 8-bit stand-up arcade where you had to like move the steering wheel and you were driving in a convertible with a blonde woman next to you outrun outrun yeah. no way <laughs> what version of outrun did you play like there the uae version there must be some level in that game where like in the in the desert yeah or but they don't like have that. like that kind of stuff on it it's always like Highway to the danger zone in that game. Well, it was, it, was, it had that, that tempo to it, and that kind of like cheesy uh, Turkish guitar going in the background. Oh, by the way, I saw a bright yellow Ferrari Testarossa yesterday. Oh. Isn't that an awesome thing to see on a random day? Yes. Beautiful. You don't see those. I don't think I've ever seen a yellow Testarossa. It's probably a kit car for all <laughs> I know. It's a Fiero. <laughs> yeah, a faux Rari. So now we're going to jump into our car. Today. Yeah, right. Get right off of the, the beer and the music completely. But uh, no, I'm I'm gonna chime in on what Matt said because that was actually gonna be my line of questioning for him was the production on this song is absolutely top notch. Like I love the tones of the instruments, especially particularly the drum. The drum tone on this is really really fantastic, and uh, chock full of the stuff he usually hates. Yeah. So, um, but I don't think this song is listenable any other way. Like the 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 production has to be there at some level. Um, to, to be able to appreciate this music in the artistic purity that it was intended. Um, so yeah, I'm kinda, I wanted to poke the hole in his argument that like some things have to have good production in order to be appreciated because if it's a great song and the production's not great, you don't get a lot of the nuance or a lot of the subtlety that is kind of a hallmark of progressive rock in general. Um you know, it's not always bash you in the face and having, you know, long noodly solos and stuff like that. Some of it is purity for purity's sake, which I f- hear a lot of in this record, which is cool. And ha, we went on that. When you have uh, when you have music from like the 40s or the 50s, it seems wrong to have it be sparkly clean, have it have everything like be clear and audible, have it sound like you're in the room with it. You should be hearing like the crackle of a phonograph needle, even though you're listening to it digitally or whatever. I, that's kind of like an authentic experience, but I think it's like a faux authentic experience when you're listening to anything that was made in the last decade or two. I mean, realistically, there's no reason you should have to have bad sound quality post-1996 or so. Because after that point, I could afford, and I was you know right out of high school, I could afford digital recording quality. So the bands that were recording on Tascam 8-track cassette players, like... They weren't doing that because they were making an artistic statement. They just fucking sucked at life. Right. So, I mean, that's right. that's all that comes down to. I mean, nothing wrong. I mean, it's okay if your music doesn't have a great production value. Sometimes it's still listenable. But there's no real argument that I can fathom that says something should sound worse to make it sound better. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Well, I, I don't think it's better versus worse necessarily. I think it's just certain, certain sound... Um, or certain aesthetic that, that goes along with that. So, you know, there's some music that is muddled or muddied um, intentionally. Like, listening to, like, a My Bloody Valentine album, you know, there's a lot happening sonically, but it's done in kind of this wall of sound 
style of production where you know it's it's intended to bludgeon you instead of you being able to kind of like pick out you know each individual element and you know there was you know however you think about the Smashing Pumpkins that was kind of one of their you know their early albums that they did that wall of sound too where there was you know layers upon layers of the same you know guitar track layered one on top in order to reach a certain style yeah but see I guess we must be talking about different things then because like I think of when I think of this like kind of like crappy sound that you that you uh, adore um, I think of more of like the uh, the black metal like you know I, I'm Low so fidelity. I am so like I will not sell out and have good sound quality right and that's not what I'm referring by to my album <laughs> America you know, I, I, I hate America right I kind of understand the intentional awfulness I mean, black metal the whole idea was they're going against the grain they were rebelling against you know Bands like Morbid Angel and death metal bands that were signing big contracts and stuff like that, and they're saying this is not pure metal. We need to rip this down to the base, base elements of what metal is. And you know, I don't mean that necessarily. I think I mean there are bands now that are popular that do that intentionally. You know, there's you know, like indie rock bands that do that quite a bit, um, and they're doing it because they they don't know any other way to do it. The well, they like just don't know how to record in anything but there's a probably. I don't think it's that thing. I mean, there's some bands that have, you know, they're signed to major labels and, you know, they have plenty of money they can spend, but I think they're either, one, masking their inability to play well, or two, they're going for, you know, a certain kind of muddled sound intentionally. Because I would say that even a lot of albums that, like, that I know people would consider to be, like, trying to be more of a wall of sound thing, like, like um, some, some Nirvana, some, uh, I mean, just thinking of uh, things that people that, are, that might be listening might have heard of. High um, on like fire. Er, early. Well, most people don't know High on Fire. Most people should know. You should know High on Fire. <laughs> um, and their last album, Matt didn't like because it was too clearly produced. Yeah, Weird. but the, like that's still like your choice. The um, I I would just love to to see the stems of that record and just like completely peaked out, no compression. Like there's just solid green across <laughs> this because it it just seems like the sound pressure level that that album was recorded at was insane for the both the the console and the microphones and like they're just really pushing sonically like, I mean, we're just gonna record that, as loud as we can think because about that we whole, can that whole Seattle thing was, you know like like apart from the, the music itself everything was supposed to be a little commercial rebellion against what was popular in the 80s and, and the early 90s so it was uh, you know it just it was what it was Like so a band like Soundgarden for example is that kind of dirty sound but to me that's still clear pr- production that's still like like what, what I, I think of as that sparkly thing because I can hear Everything I can hear the whispers and I can hear the in- inhaling and exhaling of air. You know, you can hear everything going on in that stuff. Right. So, so I guess we need we need to come across some examples of the, of like that that kind of, uh, you know, per- production raw emotion captured yeah, in sparkly production. Think of some like specific examples for next podcast and like you know make us hear what what qualifies as the, the non sparkly production that you like. Because I'm, I think I'm a little bit baffled as to what it is. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, like, I can tell immediately just from listening to it. And it's, it's, it's... Now we're getting into the metaphysical aspect of this. I like, mean, I think you can <laughs> even tell, well, I think there's... You know, Closer to the Gozerian? I think you can even tell, uh, you know, within the discography of Iron Maiden, for example. There are some albums that are more overproduced than other albums. Not to say that any Iron Maiden album is produced badly, because I love almost every Iron Maiden album, but there's, there's... So where? 
Like, like give me give me a point. Give me like not. I'm not trying to hold you to something. I'm not trying to hold your feet to the fire. Like obviously you're not gonna say. Uh, I will Iron help Maiden you. or Killers, right? So, because because Paul Diano's voice is just not compatible with, with Sparkly, right? You know, it's been a long time since I've listened to all of them, but the one I think that kind of stands out for being a transition in in the way the production sounds is Seventh Son. Really? Okay. Sure. I was gonna actually go like if you were to take Aces High versus Fear of the Dark, like well, fear- you can. You can hear the the drastic production quality change just because of the equipment that's available and the budget that was available. It's like okay, it still has the same raw power that Iron Maiden had. No, that Fear of the Dark album doesn't have the raw power. It has like three songs that have the power of the Iron Maiden. <laughs> I I still love it because it's Iron Maiden, but come on, that album is not like that doesn't. Qualify. I think you're just a cork sniffing snob, man. Uh, like, when it comes to Iron Maiden, I will accept that. Okay, that's, and, and that's a good thing to be snobby about. But there's there's probably better examples I can think of. The, um, the, the place I think Matt's coming from, and I, I think I'm, I'm kind of where he is in this headspace, at least as far as an appreciator. Like, Chris likes things to be perfect because, to him, perfection is an art form in itself. No, I don't agree with this at all. Okay, fine. <laughs> but um, there, there's a certain rawness to emotion. That's why people like Sunhouse records. We might have found the you know issue I mean? here. You might have found the, you might have stumbled upon the issue. I don't fucking believe in emotion in music. See, there you it's, go. It's fucking nonsense. You when, when, it. when you play a, a chord, it doesn't like express your emotions, nor does it convey your emotions like like in a tangible, uh, understandable, appreciable way to your audience. You have no idea how your audience is going to react. There are people who listen to Yanni and cry. <laughs> I, I guess that's me too, but I'm sure I'm crying for a different reason than your mom is crying. <laughs> So wait. So what you're saying is that whatever emotions you have in playing it aren't necessarily transferred to. Who's there's listening. none of them. There's Your no harmonic structure has nothing to I'm, do I'm with say the that mental. You're state not saying you're there's no emotion play. in music. I'm saying that there's no aura transmission of like you know nanites and like fucking floaty happiness. When no, you play the devil's third, bullshit. you're not actually invoking. Satan, when you make art, you're making you're making an art that has that has some meaning to you. Unless you express what that meaning is very specifically verbally to your audience, they have no idea and they will readily replace their own interpretation right. for yours. So there's there's music that I could play for you from from you know outer Mongolia, literally, <laughs> that that is like happy that you'll hear as creepy. Mm-hmm. I can I can play for you music from from Turkey or music from you know the Middle East. That will sound downright like you know creepy to you because of where where we come from, where we we grew up. But these are love songs frequently, or they're songs about like you know hoping for a better crop next year and things like that. So it's it's there's no reality to like interpreting emotion through music. I'm not saying that musicians and artists don't feel emotion while they're creating music, and I'm not saying that's not even the inspiration for the music. But I'm saying that unless there are words that tell you a story. Or you read an interview in fucking Rolling Stone magazine. You have no earthly idea. Rolling and Stone think, doesn't do interviews anymore. At one time they did. You have no idea what what the, the emotional content is. And all you can do is either pretend you have some kind of like stalker-like link to the artist, which you don't. Or you can pretend like you understand things that are happening, which you don't. Because they, they're not real. It's all in your head. Or you can talk about what you interpret them to be. and how. And but it's all in your head. It's like, it's, it's like the purest... like. There are objective realities to your music. There's like there are like quantifiables, and then there's all the bullshit that you want to put on it. Like uh, the whole premise of this podcast, as we I think we would all agree, is pure bullshit. Uh, any <laughs> listener right now is saying, "God damn, this is pure bullshit." 
You're going to need the knife to get through that wax. We will Sorry. Aaron's about to try and open a wax-sealed Four Roses Eclipse without with a uh, bottle opener without using a knife to break the wax. We're going to have a pause here to watch him fail. Oh, right. Oh, his failure is now complete. Join the dark side. So I, 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 I don't want to pause the podcast, so I'm just going to do what Chris says. I think I know where you're going with this, but how, how does this relate to... Uh, uh, this has everything to do with, with Aaron's <laughs> little tangent about me wanting everything to be per- perfect and the visceral emotion, and that's a bunch of crap. Well, I, I, like, I, don't I think what you're perfect. saying is the opposite of that, is that you want purity in your in your recording and your production because you don't want um, you don't want somebody else's um, interpretation of how it should sound Mm-mm. being placed uh, being substituted for how you're going to listen to it. So if you're a producer producing this album, you know, in your mind, the way the, the, the producer or the recording engineer should do it is to record things as faithfully to how they're being produced and, and do minimal, minimal adjustments or minimal uh, effects on anything. Yeah, I suppose, but I think what it comes down to is, is uh, I think that what is happening in the room is the reality and then anything you do post is like, it's kind of a fraud, you know, like like things that you do with Pro Tools to make you sound better than you actually are. Like that that's not real. That's not real musicianship. That's what we've come to accept. Right He's now. got that real good feel good stuff. <laughs> but no, the the bottom line is is uh, all I'm after in production is I if there's a guitar, I want to hear that guitar to the extent that like I can tell the brand of strings I'm hearing. If there's a saxophone, I want I want to hear the saxophonist. You know where he's falling out of breath, or where he's got his maximum volume. But I, I think I think maybe I think maybe this is getting to the heart of using three and a half reads. What are different? You want to hear each each instrument uh, to the maximum quality that the instrument is able to produce. Yes, sound. which doesn't mean that like the bass needs to be louder and the and the flute needs to be quieter. It, it, what it means is that like if it's part of the picture of the music, you should you want that resolution. You want the crystal clear. Like I see. I, I, I hear exactly what the artist is trying to convey to me. I'm not hearing the flaws of, of the technical the technology available to him. I'm not hearing the flaws of you know the lossy compression by which the music was delivered to my iPhone or whatever. I, I'm hearing you know this is the guy's composition. This is this is what mattered to him or her. The guy the guy or the girl I should say. This is the this is what mattered in the composition. This is what I what that person is trying to get across to me, so that I can make a valid personal interpretation of subjective bullshit that I won't share with anybody ever because it's fucking absurd. So anyway, that's basically where I. And for from. me, I think I I can, I can get that same level of appreciation, or at least a different level of appreciation, even without making each instrument so standalone identifiable. Which is, I think, when I talk about. You know the glossy production. It seems like every every individual instrument, and even more than that, like each individual symbol, each individual strike of uh, a drumstick, each you know each time a chord is plucked on a guitar. It seems like they've gone through and make sure okay, this is this individual note is being played to such a level where you you know exactly what is being played. Well, that's. That's the musician's job, and it's the engineer's job to, to capture that on the recording, and then it's the producer's job to accurately represent that in the picture that they pr- produce. Um, 
it's that in my opinion that's kind of like a fundamental musicianship thing and i guess a lot of it does come down to being in the room with live music a lot i want the sound of not being like in the middle of the back of the crowd i want the sound of being on the stage with those motherfuckers because that's what my experience of music is um it's it, you know it's it you want it you want it directly delivered to you and that's that's why i pay for music i want it to i want this idea I want access to this idea whenever I want it, you know that kind of thing. But that's just that's my personal my personal take on this. I don't know. My uh, my take on this is this new beer that we just opened is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> this is the uh, the 2011 Eclipse Imperial Stout by Fifty Fifty. Um, this is the Elijah Craig. This is the Four Roses. This is the Four Roses. And incidentally, this is dramatically better than the one that we opened at uh, at the uh, Four or at the Fifty Fifty party. Mega Eclipse tasting, but. Uh, yeah, if, if you can get a, your hands on a bottle of this stuff and it's not oxidized or there's nothing weird happening to it, you're going to be real happy with this beer. I highly um, recommend it. It is so choice. It is so choice. <laughs> and red, the color of uh, a very nice California. California. But uh, I'm, I'm on a little different page on this one just because I think that like when I do, when I do music for appreciation purposes, I really like to – I do my research because I'm a nerd, as most prog people are. And uh, I appreciate the level of, you know, thought that goes into, like, the artwork and the packaging and stuff like that, as I think most people that appreciate prog do. It puts you in a, in a, in a mindset, and it puts you in a mood where, like, Chris is, like, you know, the, the sonic quality might not put you in a mood or, like, the choice of notes and the choice of chords and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of bands throughout the years, Yes in particular, Pink Floyd, um, you know the the fathers of this genre down onto Tool and Porcupine Tree and stuff like that. The the art is chosen for a reason. The 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 timbre of the album and the, the you know the sound of the overall album is chosen for a reason, and it's to try to make you visually imagine things that are happening in an oral situation. Uh, right, and to but put not your mind... specific things. Right. No, I mean, like, like they, they try to, but like they, I, I they want lead you to imagine you... a ship. Yeah, but they lead the you water. down the path. They, they don't just like, you know, they're not going to give it to you and be like, okay, yeah, just make up whatever you want. It's like, this is what I had in mind. It's not specifically this. Like, everybody might have a vision of a different ship, but it's still a ship. Well, you know, because I, I too am a Prague fan. I have a specific, uh, a specific concept of what I believe feeling in music is. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's objectively understandable. I think what it is is detail. Levels of detail or missing levels of detail is what you latch onto. It's just something. It's it gives you something for your brain to, to latch onto, and while you're thinking about that thing, while you're concentrating on that thing, you experience what you experience. So as a result, there are cheerful songs from I, I could say um, Marty Friedman's Dragon Kiss. There's a song in there that's that's uh, that's really kind of like a, a softer kind of like there's only one song that's kind of soft in there. Um, and to me, it's creepy as hell because that that um, CD was the soundtrack to me reading the book *The Case of Charles Dexter Ward* by H.P. Lovecraft. Nice. So everything about this this uh, uh, album to me is sorry for the spoilers, but it's about uh, like murdering somebody and taking over their like body and their persona and like fucking East Coasty like glowing uh, fungus on the floor caves and. All this horrifying shit that they were always talking about in that book. Just got Anyways. a picture into Chris's mind. It's a <laughs> yeah, scary place it's, in there. It's, a, it's dangerous in there. But yeah, I mean, so like, I think it's like when people talk about this 
blues player plays with so much feeling. That blues player gave you a lot of things, like a lot of, you know, like focal points in his playing. That's all it was. If you play the same notes but don't play with the same kind of feeling, same kind of, same kind of approach, you don't you don't emote anything. And there is no emotion. Like most of the blues guys I've met personally, fucking happy guys because they're getting paid. You know, like they're not they're not all bummed out the whole time. You know. It's just it is it is what it is. I guess I didn't grow up you know in the Mississippi Delta, so those guys weren't getting paid. But yeah, so that's I, I really think that's that's kind of what emotion in music is. It's it's um, it's like basically a, a blank canvas for you to apply your bullshit to, and and it's what you should do. It's the right thing to do. It's not like you're bad for for applying your bullshit. It's just when you project it outward and you and you pretend that there's less feeling because I can hear this or there's not enough feeling because I can, you know, because I can't hear that. Like it's. It's comp. It's it, you know you want the composition and you want it and then you have your best chance of, of coming up with something that matters off of it. I guess. Anyway, this podcast got metaphysical. Sorry, <laughs> we're having good beer. Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. Right, I'm gonna stop talking now. Um, so Matt, you would say this out. This uh, song does not fucking suck, but it, it didn't blow your mind. This is. Uh, I chose this uh, particularly because um, it's kind of to me soundtracky. This is uh, another one of those albums that I like to listen to while reading. Although I hear the foreground in it because I've listened to it for a long, long time, um, this is not a new album. It's not that old, but it's not new. Yeah, I definitely see it as, as soundtrack. Yeah, I mean this could work in any number of television scores, especially if you're driving a Ferrari with a blonde next to you in like the desert, <laughs> right. not in America. Though. Right. I got to try to be an oil. I go on YouTube or something, see if I can find with that that level of. No, let's just go to the movie. arcade. <laughs> That's the way to do yeah. it for real. Um, Join us for our next podcast from Galloping Ghost Live, <laughs> where we stand at the coin-op version. Don't let us drink beer. We'll be at Brixie's for the podcast. Right, there we go. <laughs> Just go to headquarters. We can do both at the same uh, time. Headquarters inferior. Um, all right, I'm poison. Anyway, I, stay tuned as we judge arcades now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does this song fucking suck? I, I, I like the last portion of it a lot. This is the first song I think we've heard during these podcasts where I doubt the production values were essential to the song uh, we'll so, play with that more we'll uh we'll you know you can you can bring us some shit that we have to deal with listening to yeah yeah and i'll, then, uh, I'll and then think we'll, about that during the week we'll uh, from there. Do, did i like the song no uh <laughs> did i find it interesting not really uh so i mean does it fucking suck maybe not but maybe not come not, on no, you gotta go that, all the way it's not good either so the whole point of this podcast is yes or no so go polarizing buddy all right, well, at the level of does this fucking suck, I'll say no, because it barely qualifies as being better than this. It barely qualifies as being better. Okay. So, you went so from just okay. say yes. That's what no, I said. No, 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 no. no. It, went, it went okay when he first got to the got yeah. to his chair. Yeah, but now it's, now it's like it's falling in his appreciation. I think you should listen again right now. Yeah, we should just put it back on again. Let's not do that. All right, <laughs> All right well, we, we'll, we'll end this, uh, this poor debacle for you. I'm sorry that you listened to this, people, whoever you are. <laughs> I'm not sorry that you listened to it. I'm very thankful that you listened to it. And I would also like to add that if any of you would like to uh, suggest a song or a band that you'd like to hear us rip apart and totally you know, review poorly, uh, you can always follow us on Twitter. You can follow and, us on uh, Twitter. Um, everything is going through my personal Twitter, which is Show Cowgo. Uh, but we know we S-H-O-W-C-O-W-G-O. We do have a website now, pro- prognosispodcast.com, which my friend Eric Sanders graciously set up for us. Thank you, Eric. Um, it's live as of this recording right now. Wow. And uh, I will be able now to FTP these episodes to the site. They will be 
fed onto iTunes and I no longer have to pay any hosting fees. So that is awesome. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, email us at prognosispodcast at gmail.com or at email at prognosispodcast.com. And once again, still accepting beer sponsorships. If you'd like to send us your beer or have us rate it on this podcast because you will literally get, you know, tens of customers. Or if you have like a, if you have a black metal band that would dare to play in 7th, 8th, or like 15, 16, or something like that, you could do something progressive with your black metal band. It would probably cause Matt to have an aneurysm on the spot, <laughs> and Aaron and I would be most appreciative. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week with more beer and more progressive music. Special Thanksgiving episode. I don't know what we're going to do for it, but we'll have to theme oh, it Oh, now we definitely have a concept. It'll be, uh, it's gravy-oriented. No, or turkey-oriented. Gravy. Or large birds of prey. Ooh, I like <laughs> a song that's a large bird of prey. I have a song about a condor, but that's not a bird of prey. It's a carrot. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, don't even, I don't have a song about a condor. What the fuck are you talking about? Stay tuned. It's going to be an interesting episode. All, All right. right bye. Thanks, care. everybody.